1: And, and this, this is, is how we win.
3: Thanks to Third Love for supporting Mueller, she wrote. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off their entire first order. Go to thirdlove.com ag now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your order. That's thirdlove.com ag and thanks to Scentbird, a luxury perfume subscription service, for supporting Mueller, she wrote. Go to scentbird.com ag and use code ag at checkout for 50% off your first month.
4: Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist.
1: No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist.
3: Hello, and welcome to Mueller She Wrote, and welcome to the aftermath of the blue wave.
1: Blue sky smiling at me nothing but blue
0: skies do i see
3: that's right we now have democratic control of the house of representatives and thanks to all who joined us for our election night live coverage and our broadcast that we had last tuesday it was a great show it was a great time i appreciate everyone for coming out we had uh, tons of fun dems have won back 30 seats and counting Uh, a ton of governorships, and we might have only lost a couple of Senate seats. We're still waiting for results in some key races, and, and when it's all said and done, we could take back as many as 40 in the House. So thanks to young people, you showed up over 30%, nearly doubling your normal turnout in presidential elections for a midterm. Winning the House was bigly important for the Mueller investigation. And I know he didn't say bigly, he said big league, but whatever. Uh, and anyway, that yeah, the, the Mueller investigation now has a lot of protections, and I'll go over that a little bit later in Just the Facts. Uh, joining me always is Jalisa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn is out this week.
1: Good evening, San Diego. I'm Veronica Corningstone. Tits McGee is on vacation.
3: Also joining us today to talk about his new book, Proof of Collusion, How Trump Betrayed America, is Twitter Nostradamus, Seth Abramson. And we also have David Priest, a former CIA officer uh, that used to brief Mueller on a daily basis. He's also got a new book out called How to Get Rid of a President, History's Guide to Removing Unpopular, Unable, or Unfit Chief Executives. Maybe a little good timing.
0: Oh, yeah. On his
3: part. Uh, A lot happened this week, you guys. We had the midterm elections, the firing of Jeff Sessions, the installation of Matthew fucking Whitaker as attorney (laughs) general, the subsequent protests that followed, the Andrew Miller hearings in the D.C. appellate court. New reporting about Trump being involved in the Enquirer payoff schemes, Manafort not cooperating and his ex-son-in-law being indicted, the potential for a Mormon prophecy being fulfilled is still good to go, and the introduction of legislation to protect Mueller. And Jaleesa is going to go uh, over the, that, the, inter- you know, the, the legislation to protect Mueller, what the GOP is doing, how they're involved. And I'm going to be covering the Wednesday morning massacre. It's going to be a packed show. So uh, let's ready the beans and <laughs> jump in with just the facts. All right, we're starting on Tuesday. While we were voting, uh, we found out Rablavlev was arrested in Monaco and questioned in an ongoing corruption probe. If you remember, Rablavlev, Rablav, Rablovla Robocop, I call him Robocop. He was the guy that bought a Florida mansion from Trump for $95 million, then and turned around, parceled it out, and sold it shortly thereafter. Well, most of it for half the money. Uh, which screams money laundering. Uh, Robocop has been under scrutiny by Mueller for the mansion transaction, which is just one of many Trump business transactions he was looking into. It's important to note to uh, note it's important to note <laughs> jam on it. Jam on and on and on and on it. Okay, sorry. It's important to note that Trump's finances were not only called a red line by Trump, but by his family and also by the guy Trump just made the attorney general, now overseeing the Mueller probe but we'll get into that later. Then Tuesday, we had an historic blue wave election in which we took back 30 seats in the House and counting. As we predicted here on Mueller, she wrote, we did not take the Senate. However, Mitt Romney did win his seat bid in Utah. And if you've been listening for a while, uh, we came up with a theory about a year ago called the Romney 9. I had said if we took back the House, uh, we could get the votes to impeach, but we would need two-thirds in the Senate, which would require a Republican lead a Republican to lead a contingency of his caucus in in the conviction of Trump, the removal, right? Because there's two steps to impeachment: you impeach him in the House, then you then you have a a trial in the Senate. You convict him, you remove the president, mm-hmm. uh, and that would require 67 votes. So we decided Romney could be that guy, and we dubbed those nine because Romney hates Trump, right? He, after he got snubbed for Secretary of State, and when Russia kind of installed Rex Tillerson. Um, you know, with his friendship medal. <laughs> yeah. And we we decided Romney could be that guy. And we dubbed those nine senators the Romney Nine, which is now, after this race, more like the Romney 19, <laughs> uh, depending on how Florida and Arizona uh, pan out in their Senate races. But as it turns out, that would not only help get Trump impeached, but it would fulfill a Mormon prophecy. Uh, one of our listeners, an ex-Mormon, told us about Something called the White Horse Prophecy, in which a Mormon guy comes to D.C. riding on a shiny white horse uh, out of the West with, you know, while the Constitution is hanging in by a thread and he saves the democracy from certain deaths. So with the election of Mitt Romney, those white horse beans are still in play. Nice. <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep you posted on, <laughs> on Joseph Smith Mormon Prophecies uh, <laughs> as we continue our podcast. Uh, hard-hitting journalism. Oh yeah, the tough questions. (laughs) We tackle the issues. Uh, But the Dems taking the House means more to the Mueller probe than just that, right? The massive shift in power provides crucial protection for Mueller against political forces that might try to quash Mueller's findings. First, uh, impeachment becomes possible because the Constitution only requires a simple majority, uh, which we now have in the House. But that aside, what's more important is that Mueller is allowed to finish his investigation and get his findings to the public, or at least to the Dems in the House. And the fact that we took the House provides Mueller with uh, counterbalancing protections, right? First, if Mueller files his report with the new AG, and that AG refuses to release the report to Congress, that automatically triggers uh, a report to Congress uh, where he will be required to tell Congress he doesn't want to release the report. And now with Dems in the majority, anyone blocking any part of that report would come under intense scrutiny from the House to release the findings, not to mention the public. And beyond that, the House Dems now hold subpoena power and could compel the production of evidence in public hearings. Once they take the gavels, they could even call Mueller to testify in public to tell them everything he's found.
0: That would be incredible. So
3: there is no stop in the Mueller investigation. Uh, I don't care what you think, Donald Trump. (laughs) And joining us today to discuss the future of Donald Trump is former CIA officer, manager, daily intelligence briefer, and frequent writer and speaker on the presidency and national security affairs. He has a new book out, extraordinarily timely, by the way, called How to Get Rid of a President, History's Guide to Removing Unpopular, Unable, or Unfit Chief Executives. Please welcome back friend of the podcast, David Priest. David, how are you?
4: I am doing well.
3: Uh, hi, A.G. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, It's been quite a week, uh, as you know. Uh, I don't know how things are over in D.C. What's the temperature like?
4: It is absolutely frigid. Um, Or are you asking about the air temperature?
3: I was being uh, uh, figurative.
4: (laughs) Yeah. It's a a strange climate right now because there's a lot of agitation, there's a lot of uncertainty, and most of it is surrounding. So what's he going to do next? Because the press conference that we saw this week and some of the tweets coming out show that this is not going to be taken as a slap across the wrist, as a lot of midterms are. This is going to be taken as an opportunity to amp things up even further. And so there's, you know, even more uncertainty than before.
3: Yeah, I think those of us who've been into this kind of expected that. We sort of knew he'd be cleaning house uh, after the election. Uh, We we'd kind of predicted this and and uh, but there's a lot of people who who weren't expecting it. Um, And so I I imagine things could be a bit uh, on edge
4: everywhere here. The good news is to follow up on what we've discussed a couple of times before on the show is the national security professionals and others in the government in Washington, as I assume where you are and elsewhere. People are putting their heads down and they're doing the job. And that's the important part, is the the, the job of the people is getting done. It's just the question about the man at the top. But it's not a question of absolute chaos and anarchy going on. Nope. Social security checks are still getting mailed. Terrorist threats are still being investigated. Diplomacy at the working level is still getting done. It's just being done despite that uncertainty at the very top.
3: Yeah, and despite the very top, um, your book how to get rid of a president, is coming out right when we might actually have the ability to get rid of the president. Uh, when and why did you start this uh, research, and, and and what research did you do?
4: Yeah, it actually goes back to what I did before I started working for the U.S. government in national security. I went to graduate school and got my Ph.D. in political science. And this is really a return to that, is looking back, because the last couple of years, we've had... Uh, a president who is perceived as widely unpopular, some judge him to be unable to fulfill the duties of the office, many people find him unfit for the office. We've, we've had cases of that before, and there are many methods that we've used to get rid of presidents in history. We spend a whole lot of time focusing on how we elect presidents. We spend a whole lot of time focusing on how we manage presidents or how presidents do their jobs. But it was surprising to me that there hadn't been somebody who took a systematic, exhaustive historical look at all the ways that we have to get rid of a president and what are the ways of doing that and how have they stacked up in history so that we can learn from the mistakes and the successes of the past. So I took a look at that. So it's not just a book about impeachment. There have been several quick hit books out on that topic, but it takes a look at all of those methods to inform us now about what has worked and what hasn't worked before.
3: Well, that's great. And I but I think maybe one of the problems we've had with researching that is a lot of it, at least tied up in Watergate has been under seal. And we didn't get that uh, Jaworski report, which uh, many are calling a legal precedent or a roadmap for uh, for how to handle this investigation. That didn't come out until a week and a half ago, I think. So, you know, now we have even more uh, of a of a legal leg to stand on.
4: That certainly helps. Now, the the issue there isn't really a legal issue. It's a matter of approach. That is, the approach Jaworski took was, you know, give give an uh, assessment or give a fact and then back it up with the evidence in a list format, very different than the Ken Starr approach of the exhaustive truth-telling commission format of his report. That relates to one very small specific aspect of those investigations, which in turn are a much Smaller percentage of the overall history of the United States when it comes to presidents who behave badly So yes, that moves us forward in a small way on a small part of this issue The rest of it is all out there, but I don't know about you But I certainly until I researched this book Didn't know the stories of John Tyler and Andrew Johnson and Millard Fillmore I I, These were names that I may have memorized once as a kid when I had to but I didn't know their stories Going back, I realize history is echoing. A lot of the things we're seeing, a lot of the discourse that's going on can borrow from the past, and, and maybe we can learn something about some of these methods that we'll talk about.
3: Yeah, and I think that just because of the the more recent, at least historically speaking, uh thing about about Watergate is kind of where everybody turns um and so that you know that's why the kind of that Jaworski report is is helpful but as you said it's only one small aspect of a giant sea of possibilities and and I think that right you're right the Ken Starr report was very kind of skewed and conclusory and I just it wasn't it wasn't what Jaworski did. And I think the best word I've heard to describe J- Jaworski's roadmap or his report was elegant. It was an elegant solution to, a pro- to one problem that, and one of many problems we face right now.
4: Well, sure. And because the, the Nixon case is one of the closer parallels in history to what we're doing now, there's no perfect parallel to this unprecedented president, but he, he, it's one of the closest parallels we have. Any any insight we have is useful. There, there's another insight that's useful. It's not in my book, but it relates to what we've talked about before, which is: Does Mueller see himself more in the Ken Starr, "I'm in charge of a truth-telling commission, seeing his charge as getting every single fact uncovered, even if it's not related to the prosecution of crimes," or does he see himself more like a Jaworski, who is, by the book, do what needs to be done, present the facts. To, in this case, the House of Representatives, because constitutionally, it ain't the special prosecutor's job to do an impeachment hearing and assessment. It's the job of the House. So is it more like Jaworski to arm the House of Representatives or to arm anyone else with what they need to make choices? My experience with Mueller suggests he's much more closer to the latter than the former. He's not exceeding his mandate for the sake of what he sees as a wider societal role. That's not that's not his own constitution. I think the Jaworski roadmap provides a much closer parallel for what he's likely to do.
3: Yeah, definitely. And you and you spent a lot of time with Mueller um, and and briefing him and getting to know him. And and we've always kind of seen him, based on what you and I have talked about and other things that I've read about him and his life, that he seems to be more about um, kind of just getting getting the truth out there um, and packaging it all up in in a way that's you know not so not so. Ken Starry, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, he's he's definitely more about justice as a whole, and I I feel I'm with you in that he he kind of feels like the responsibility or honor or privilege of removing a president belongs to the people, not him.
4: Yeah, and in that way, he might actually echo something that Jim Comey said, and, and Jim Comey and Bob Mueller are not best friends, despite what the president and others say. And th- there's no photos of them hugging and kissing all over? No, 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 I, I don't even think, I don't even think the Russians have such video, but to, to me, there's there's definitely something that, that Jim Comey has that I think is shared, and maybe it has to do something with the FBI ethic, um, despite some very strong disagreements about some decisions Jim Comey made and, and why he made them in 2016, When he gave an interview to ABC in April 2018, I do cite this in the book, he actually argues against impeaching and removing the president because he said, I quote, that would let the American people off the hook and have something happen indirectly that I believe they are duty bound to do directly. So he definitely has the impression of you have to rely on existing institutions as much as possible. And in this case, we have an institution for getting rid of a president. It's what the founders intended, and it is the best way to remove a president, period. You go to the polling place in four years and you say, you're fired. That is the best way unless there's actual constitutional harm, unless there's damage to the republic or a fundamentally unfit president. And we have different methods for achieving those. But honestly, Director Comey nailed it. He said, absent a a clear and present danger... We have a good method for ejecting a president, and it's called getting your ass out and voting.
3: Well, some would consider uh, that on the far end of the spectrum and somewhere in the middle being impeachment, because while uh, impeachment is less direct, we do actually elect the people who would do that.
4: Right on. And that's why we have a spectrum of options. And I'll just quickly walk through these. Uh,
3: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, some of the methods for removing um, a president. And and not not just that, uh, I want you to go through those methods, but I also want you to talk about what you think are the likeliest uh, that we could run into in the next two years.
4: Yeah, let me walk quickly through each of the methods, and then we'll come back to racking and stacking them now. Uh, Voting presidents out, obviously, is one, and this is normal, Uh, 10 of the first 41 presidents were voted out when they were on the ballot for re-election. That's almost 25%. So it clearly happens. The oddity in history is that it hasn't happened lately. The most recent one was Bush 41. We're going back now decades. Um, So that's one. But sometimes it doesn't even get to that. If waiting for the next election seems too long, some presidents, starting with George Washington, who were eligible to run again, self-selected out. They removed themselves. Others wanted to stay on the job and Trump presumably does, but they got rejected by their own parties. That is, they sought their renomination and they didn't get it. The most recent
3: Oh, meaning <laughs> he would lose uh, in the primary?
4: Absolutely. For- uh, yeah, the, the most recent example of that, and people have been primaried. You, you might remember uh, George Bush, 41, was primaried hard by Pat Buchanan. And that may have had something to do with why he was weakened in the election, the general election itself. Um, Lyndon Johnson famously took himself out of the running for a reelection in 1968 to supposedly focus on winning the war in Vietnam. Instead, as I tell the story in the book, he was quietly plotting behind the scenes to re-enter the race as a hero to answer the party's call at a fractured convention. Uh, Johnson wasn't at the convention. He was at his ranch in Texas, but he had conveniently brought two speechwriters and had an aircraft ready to take off for Chicago at a moment's notice. But Johnson refused to signal openly to the delegates he wanted to run. So they didn't take the first step, which in turn kept him from saying anything. So that call never came. But you can certainly see a president being rejected by his own party. Now, that's an interesting one in this case, because Donald Trump ain't a Republican. He hijacked the Republican Party, and he's brought people along with him. But it is possible to imagine a strong moderate Republican challenge to him. Seems weird in today's environment when everybody seems to have just followed along in his coattails, but there are already people talking about challenging him from the center of the party. That's a possibility, and history tells us this happens pretty often. Now, there are other methods that don't require the party. Um, One method of removing a president is removal in place, effectively infringing the president's legal duties. And this has happened from enemies and allies alike. There are cases going back. They tried against George Washington to do this. They certainly succeeded against a lot of his successors. Um, But even the president's own men have done it. Richard Nixon had his own chief of staff and national security advisor taking on some of the prerogatives of the president's uh, authority for themselves. And you and I saw just a matter of weeks ago, the reporting the New York Times op-ed from Anonymous, claiming to be part of a group plotting behind the president's back to preserve our democratic institutions while thwarting the president's misguided impulses. And then Bob Woodward's book, Fear, describing similar conduct by officials working in the White House, like Gary Cohn, stealing letters off of Trump's desk. That's, that's not removing the president from office, but that certainly is taking away something that the founders intended, which was executive power without being sabotaged from within. A couple of methods uh, we'll skip over pretty quickly here, but the diabolical ones. One is preemptive removal, whereby a major party candidate who's eminently qualified, looks destined for victory, is kept out of the office by extraordinary means. Some people say that was Hillary Clinton in 2016 with some Russian help keeping her out of office. Certainly, it happened to men like Henry Clay back in the 19th century. Um, The other one that is off the table is assassination. I cover it in the book because it has happened, and several other presidents came really close to getting killed in office, but removing the president by force, it's a theft of the rights of the voters or the representatives. It's an insult to the sacrifices of all the Americans who have served in the military or worked in a government office or participated in elections. So we got to rule that one out no matter what. So we get to the constitutional methods, and the constitutional methods are impeachment in the event of an unfit president, or declaring the president unable to fulfill the duties of the office, basically an incapacitated president, in which case the 25th Amendment kicks in. And those are the ones that are most likely to see some action in the next couple of years.
3: Yeah, so it sounds like what you're saying is there might not be one method, but maybe a combination, like... uh checking the president like the anonymous op-ed from New York Times or with the majority in one or both houses of Congress or perhaps impeachment without conviction. You'd need two-thirds in the Senate. Uh, Maybe a likely eventuality with uh, Comey's preferred method, which is voting him out, unless, of course, he resigns based on a Jaworski-type report that has a ton of, you know, indictable felonies in it. It It seems like there's no one clear message, but what we what's important and why your book is important is we need to look at history to see which methods in combination or, or on their own work best.
4: Mm-hmm. One of the best parallels for this uh, seems odd on its surface, but Andrew Johnson became president upon the assassination and death of Abraham Lincoln. And Andrew Johnson was fundamentally unfit for the office. He was a racist asshat who should never have been in the job in the first place. But for the Civil War, Lincoln wanted to have a National Union ticket of Republicans and Democrats coming together. And Andrew Johnson was the only prominent Democrat he could get to do it because most of the rest had either gone to the Confederacy or did not want to align in that way. But he became president and he was just fundamentally unfit for the job. He was a a horrible person in almost every way you can imagine. Well, what happened? In that case, you had Congress— restrict the powers of the presidency. They even passed an act called the Tenure of Office Act, which was later ruled unconstitutional. But that limited the president's ability to remove cabinet officials and replace them. It ended up leading to Johnson's impeachment, and he came one vote in the Senate short of removal. But in that case, the act of impeachment itself led Johnson to back off He had to agree with some senators under the table to stop doing some of his more heinous activity in the occupied Confederacy in order to not get convicted. And therefore impeachment in a sense worked. It did not remove him from office, but the act of impeachment got the president to behave better. In the case of Nixon, Nixon resigning, I don't treat as a separate way of removing a president because the president isn't just gonna resign on a whim. The president is gonna resign for a reason. Richard Nixon resigned because of impeachment. Richard Nixon was effectively an impeached president, and he preempted his removal by the Senate by going ahead and resigning before the House could vote and the Senate could vote. So an impeachment by itself can be a very powerful thing. The wrong lesson we have learned historically, and I interviewed some constitutional scholars for this book, from the Clinton case, the idea was Clinton was impeached for perjury, obstruction of justice, but they didn't affect constitutional crimes. That is, they were more on a personal matter. So he was not convicted in the Senate. Well, the political take that came from that is if you get impeached but not removed, you win. And Clinton's approval ratings actually went up during that process. That's the wrong lesson to learn. Historically, impeachment is supposed to be a very strong signal, a slap across the face of the president saying, cut this out. This is not going to work. And we are going to restrict you. The one element that's missing now is we're just not seeing the Congress restricting the president. You would think constitutionally, regardless of party, the last two years would have seen more restrictions put on this president's behavior. Maybe now with a Democratic House, we will start to see some of that.
3: Yeah. And speaking of that lesson, presumably if he's impeached but not removed. um, And again, this is kind of a different scenario because like you said, Clinton was more personal and this is more legal. Um, I, I don't know that it would necessarily improve his ratings, uh, but the the problem here, and I think that this is the problem Nixon was facing, was that if you fail to resign, you might fail to uh, secure a, a pardon from the vice president. If you're voted out uh, instead, and you wait until 2020, which it, some a lot of people argue he might have the proclivity to do, you could lose that. That pardon and and you know also not to mention the state crimes that he 's facing with the a g in New York, et cetera,
4: sure, yeah, the case of Nixon is really interesting because at the time, this is one of those cases where the hindsight of a few years uh, changes things when When Ford issued the pardon of Nixon, it was a disaster. It essentially ruined ford 's chances for reelection. He came really close, but the pardon of Nixon really hurt him because it was seen as oh, okay, so Nixon resigned, and then he got off on these charges, and he's never going to see justice. History has turned a bit in the last few decades. Now the general consensus is that would have torn the country apart on the heels of Vietnam, tearing the country apart in a way that would have maybe been unrecoverable, that Ford, for good reasons, no quid pro quo, Ford actually did something in the best interest of the country, even though it hurt him politically. Now, can we see a parallel here? Man, I don't know. It sure doesn't seem like this president would resign. A couple of years ago, I would have said that, that the most likely thing was that the president facing something like an impeachment would essentially take his ball, leave, say, I'm taking my ball and going home. I'm not playing this game anymore. I did as much as I could against the system. And this just proves how corrupt the establishment is and how they're taking your country away from you. Now. He seems to be digging in his heels in a way, and maybe the Kavanaugh hearing had something to do with this. Any previous president facing a nomination like the Kavanaugh hearing and seeing what happened with Brett Kavanaugh in that hearing, out of shame, would have said, yeah, we're pulling the nomination. Instead, the lesson that Trump may have learned is, you know what? If I dig my heels in on something that bad, I win anyway. So he might not resign the office in the face of an impeachment and removal vote. He might actually take it down to the wire. That's something we haven't seen.
3: Yeah. And he's shown that again in his reaction to the blue wave on Tuesday, where most presidents in the past have, you know, when uh, like when Bush fired Rumsfeld uh, in response to the blue wave after after, you know, in in the two years after he got um, he won the president or, you know, he was there that uh, that you know, he was like, oh, well, I'm going to do this. The people have spoken. I'm going to respond to the people. Whereas Trump, as you said, tends to dig his heels in and not go anywhere. And that's he's just got all these signposts uh, so far showing that he's not the resigning type.
4: It'd be interesting to see what would happen there, because uh, assuming that what would push us into an impeachment scenario would be evidence of crimes, whether it's something having to do with conspiracy. With the information warfare that happened in the 2016 election, or something else, that's the kind of thing that would push us, push us in that direction. Well, in that case, yes, of course, then you could imagine someone thinking, if, if not the president, who lives in the eternal now, who may not be able to think that strategically forward. But you could imagine someone around him thinking, "Sir, if you resign." And avoid all the trouble that would come with fighting this. You are more likely to get a pardon for some or all of these crimes. That becomes an interesting calculation then. Because clearly, if it were strong enough that it would push even some Republicans to vote for impeachment and removal, then it definitely would be strong enough to have a likely uh, criminal element to it. I don't know how that would play out. Nixon, for all of his problems was somebody who actually did like the United States of America in many ways, and he resigned the office knowing this ain't going to go anywhere good for me, but it ain't going to be good for the country either. I'm not sure the same calculus goes on in this president's head. I'm not sure anyone knows.
3: Yeah, it it is hard to know. And, uh, David, I really— Really enjoyed your book. I think that the the parallels you make um, throughout history and not just Nixon, but Johnson and, and Lincoln are, are really important to understanding what's going on now and all of the different methods we have for, for removal or for removing a president. And uh, speaking of Lincoln, it could it should be of note that he lost a, a Senate bid in 1858, and then won the presidency two years later in 1860. And here we have rising star Beto O'Rourke, so we have some just interesting parallels to go through through about you know to talk about throughout history. So uh, I f- I find your book to be very important to understanding um, the the processes that could go forward in the next couple of years. So I I really appreciate. Um, Your book, and I really appreciate the information that you shared in it.
4: Well, thanks. I, I hope that that your listeners get the same thing out of reading it that I got out of writing it, which is a much better appreciation just through these these fun vignettes of bad presidents, of the fact that honestly we've been here before, we've had some real catastrophes, up to and including a no, no kidding, civil war. We've been through some really bad times with some really bad leaders, and we have always collectively found a way not only to get through it, not only to survive, but to thrive. And we may be in a bad place now, but remember, it's always darkest before the dawn. And if we've gotten through this before, we've got to have some faith that we're going to get through this again.
3: Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Everybody, you heard it here. Uh, Knowing your history is very important. So please get your hands on How to Get Rid of a President, available wherever books are sold. David Priest, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so so much for coming on Muller She Wrote.
4: You bet, AG. Talk to you again soon.
3: It's always a pleasure to have David on the pod. Um, Mm -hmm. Such a smart dude. Oh, yeah. And um, he's just... Got the best insights. Best beans. So level-headed. Yeah, beans. CIA beans (laughs) all day. Uh, Then Wednesday morning, you guys, as we predicted, Trump fired Sessions and installed Matthew fucking Whitaker as the new attorney general, completely shitting all over the normal Justice Department line of succession. And I'll be going over that later in the show. And I've been hearing a lot of pundits call it secession. Um, It's not uh, seceding, it's not secession, it's (laughs) succession. Um, not to be a grammar dick, but I'm a grammar dick. Uh, then there you go. The firing, the firing of Sessions, uh, on the other hand, triggered national protests. Nearly 1,000 cities supporting the Mueller probe and validating our existence as a podcast. So thank you, (laughs) America. The protest... It was so great to see just everyone out there supporting Mueller. Oh, yeah.
0: I was out there. It was beautiful.
3: Yes. And uh, the protests were part of a coordinated effort by liberal groups who have been planning a rapid response to protect Mueller for months in case of the, you know, a Saturday Night Massacre or what I'm calling the Wednesday Morning Massacre. Mm -hmm. The the group's website is called Nobody is Above the Law, and they said, quote, Donald Trump has installed a crony to oversee the special counsel's Trump-Russia investigation, crossing a red line set to protect the investigation. So... That was uh, really nice. It's just great to see. There were a lot of Mueller signs out there, too. Road she wrote signs yes. out there, too. It was pretty cool. Uh, Thursday, Rupert Murdoch met with Mitch McConnell on Capitol Hill, and Fox News has not tweeted since. And I, I'm i trying to figure out why. Like, I'm here wringing my hands together, like, what is it? What did they talk about? Because <laughs> Capitol Hill's empty right now. Uh, but McConnell was there meeting with Rupert Murdoch. And I wonder... You know what the heck did they talk about? Maybe maybe Fox is under investigation since Hannity and Judge Janine Pirro stumped for Trump in one of his rallies before the election. That would make sense, yeah. Uh, when Fox News has said uh, we don't support that, we don't condone that
0: because uh, we're fair and balanced. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Sure, you are. It seems like damage control for sure, one way or another.
3: It does, but they've been quiet, and and I haven't looked today. But uh, you know, as of it had been twenty four hours since they tw- tweeted mm-hmm. as of yesterday. It's
0: a long time for them.
3: Yeah, so I'm I'm wondering what's going on there. Then uh, Friday, Senators Coons and Flake pushed a measure in Congress to protect Mueller, and Jalisa is going to cover that for us in hot notes. Also, Friday, a bomb report came out in the Wall Street Journal. It uh, it confirms something we kind of already knew, uh, if you're um, an MSW listener, that Trump played a central role in the hush money payoffs to Stormy Daniels and Kate McDougal. We already knew this from Cohen's criminal charges and his new 80 page, you know, criminal uh, referral that came out and his guilty plea um, saying that Trump was one. He was he was the one who ordered Cohen to make those illegal payoffs to Stormy Daniels. to Kate McDougal. The news here is that according to interviews with three dozen people who have direct knowledge of the events, Trump directly intervened to suppress stories about his alleged sexual encounters with women. Mueller junkies already know, however, that Trump is an unindicted co-conspirator in the case that Cohen pleaded pleaded guilty to. And a lot of people, a lot of right wingers like to try to say, well, John Edwards um, paid off a mistress and he wasn't found guilty. And that's because he did it a year before. Um, And they couldn't get the intent. Right. But now apparently there are three dozen people at least who who are saying that Trump specifically did this uh, to intervene and and protect the election, protect his campaign. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is goes directly to intent, corrupt intent, which is the hardest part of of these kinds of things to prove. And if there are tapes, as we know, uh, Cohen has already released one. There could be several more. So this alone is enough to indict the president. And while the Department of Justice has poli- a policy stating that a sitting president cannot be indicted or tried, we now know, thanks to the Jaworski report released last week uh, giving a roadmap to how the grand jury can get its findings to the House Judiciary Committee, that Mueller could outline all the charges he could be indicted on, which could lead to his resignation. So you uh, just to go into a little bit about Jaworski report last week, we reported on this. If you didn't listen to the pod, I highly recommend uh, getting into that so you can Kind of <clears throat> get a feel for what the Jaworski report was. It's forty four years old. It, it's been sealed. We, it wasn't released until a couple weeks ago, or a week and a half ago. And it basically gives an outline as to how the grand jury got its findings on Nixon to Congress. The roadmap, yeah, yeah, the roadmap, and that gives Mueller a legal precedent, and and uh, you know a kind of a a template to follow, uh, because we have that, and we have the Starr report mm-hmm. uh, under Clinton, and the Starr report was more. Uh, skewed and more conclusory and we've already talked about that but the the elegance is a word I've heard to describe the Jaworski report the elegance of the Jaworski report is that it's here's the facts here's all of the things we could indict him on here's everything else we found do with it what you will and mm-hmm. usually grand jury stuff like that is not it's secret you have to keep it secret. But. Now there is legal precedent where the judge had allowed that to go to the House Judiciary Committee, specifically the House Judiciary Committee, which is why it's so great that we won back the House. So, yeah, we can look forward to that. Um, finally, anyone who, who's been listening knows about Andrew Miller.
4: I hold myself in contempt.
3: Basically, Andrew Miller is one of the Roger Stonehenge crew. Um, he's a house painter, but he served as Stone's scheduler. Hmm. Uh, he coordinated his schedule. He refused to appear before Mueller's grand jury. Uh, he then had to hold himself in contempt so that he could appeal the appointment of Mueller and challenge the special counsel's constitutionality before the Supreme Court or the D.C. appellate court, uh, assuming they were assuming it would go up to the Supreme Court. And oral arguments began in that case this Thursday. But something amazing happened on Friday. The court ordered both sides to write a brief on the impact that the installation of Matthew Whitaker would have on the Mueller probe. And as we know, Miller was questioning whether or not Mueller should have ever been appointed. But Trump, in a grand gesture of stupidity, installed an attorney general and the person who appointed Mueller is no longer in charge of the Mueller probe. So the court decided it probably can't rule on the appointment of Mueller if the guy who appointed him is no longer in charge of him. So this could lead to the court getting to decide if the appointment of Matthew fucking Whitaker is even legal. Uh, and we'll get into that discussion uh, when we get into Hot Notes. So put some beans on it. Oh, yeah. We'll be right back. Hey, Muller junkies. This is AG. I'm joined here with Julissa Johnson. Hello. And we want to talk to you a little bit about third love. Uh, we both had the opportunity to go on their website, take third, thirdlove.com, take their Fit Finder quiz. Oh, yeah, it was super easy. And, and very accurate, um, I have to say. And, and find our perfect fit. And then I even got some undies. It was great. And uh, it, it's important to me. At least comfort comfort is important to me. I'm more about comfort um, with my bra. And right now they have they have a 100%, 100% fit guarantee. And they have a new cotton collection. So they, they basically got some input from their customers saying, we want breathable cotton t-shirt bras. And they did it. They put them out there. So it took two years to develop the perfect cotton. Uh, it's it's Pima cotton. So it's r- super breathable, very comfortable. And the result is this line of incredibly soft, smooth, breathable bras and underwear, not to mention, that mm-hmm. you will want to wear every day. Wearing mine right now. <laughs> so I, I really like them. They do all the hard work for you. They do the Fit Finder quiz. They, and they don't just look at, you know, your cup size, but your shape and... All sorts of just cool little things. Yeah,
0: yeah, they make it really snug.
3: Yeah, and, and but no spillage, and the straps don't dig. It's just, they're so great, and I love them. So everyone... Been- Go go to thirdlove.com/ag to find your perfect fitting bra. Third, Third Loves Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering our listeners, Muller Junkies, 15% off your first order. That's nice. huge. Yeah. So go to thirdlove.com/ag, get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com/ag for 15% off today. You'll be glad you did. welcome back hot notes welcome back everybody thanks for listening incidentally if you want ad-free episodes you can become a patron at patreon.com slash miller she wrote you'll get all sorts of other content and thank you gifts so check it out patreon.com slash miller she wrote today i'm gonna cover matthew fucking whitaker (laughs) but first jaleesa
0: has some reporting on how the gop is working to help protect Mueller. What do you got? Oh, yeah. So on Friday, Politico published an article by Burgess Everett called Summon GOP Clamor to Protect Mueller. And that small but mighty group he's referring to includes Republican Senators Susan Collins, Jeff Flake, and Chris Coons. I don't trust Susan Collins anymore. I know. I have some reservations about all of them. But but this article is pretty interesting. kind of brings it together. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And she's probably coming around now because she saw what happened in the election in Maine. So yeah. Yeah. Like, like that Cohen effect. New governor. Yeah. Yeah. They're not
0: just, just the, the see, see They're just you know saving their ass in the name of justice.
3: Right and, and we were telling her like your ass could be in trouble if you don't do these certain things. Yeah so and, she might have listened. And now the writing's on the wall after the election. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Oh yeah oh yeah good point. So this comes as a direct response to Jeff Sessions being fired by Trump on Wednesday and these three Republicans are trying to pass legislation to protect Mueller and his investigation from political interference. And since Matthew fucking Whitaker is now acting AG these three hmm. have stepped up for a practically lost cause because Legislation protecting Mueller is not going to pass in the Senate. This is Trump's Senate, and they know it, but that's why I personally commend them for doing this. It's more about speaking out it seems and taking a stand than actually you know getting it done so um Susan Collins said that she's concerned that Whitaker will intervene in the probe and possibly try to shut it down from within. She said quote I believe that we should bring to the Senate floor legislation that would put restrictions on the ability of President Donald Trump to fire the special counsel. Also, that Senate debate and passage of this bill would send a powerful message that Mueller must be able to complete this work unimpeded. So essentially, this bill would ensure that no special counsel can be fired just because. And in the event that a special counsel is fired for a seemingly political reason, the termination will immediately go under judicial review. So the bill would also only allow Senate approved officials to have authority to fire a special counsel at all. That, of course, would disqualify Whitaker. So that's another check on the president. And naturally, this bill has people speaking out on both sides. Mitch McConnell even came out of his shell on Friday. <laughs> Turtle shell? Yeah, yeah, he Poked his little head out? Absolutely. He uh, reiter- Asked for a chin and then it, retreated? It, he should have done that. So <laughs> basically, he reiterated that he doesn't believe the bill is needed, despite the fact that Sessions being fired is clearly a game changer. He said, quote, it's not necessary. The Mueller investigation is not under threat. I am a Russian pawn. Okay, he didn't see the last <laughs> line. You get my point, though. You improv to the last line? Exactly, a little bit of freestyle on that. So uh, in an interview, Senator Coons emphasized the Senate's need for independence from the president, saying, quote, the risk that the president is going to do something sudden and risk a constitutional crisis is a reason enough to pass the bill. It's also worth mentioning that funding for about a quarter of the government expires on December 7th. So Democrats had a handful of moderate Republicans uh, that are insisting that funding for the Mueller investigation continue and uh, it should be included. So even the House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler has proposed a bill to protect Mueller's funding, though that could risk a government shutdown. Uh, but still, the House Democrats see the Mueller-related bills as high priorities when they retake the chamber in January. But in the meantime, many people are obviously worried that Trump will try to impede on the investigation before that deadline. And Senator Lindsay- Lindsey Graham crackers said, <laughs> I, "I like the fact that Graham crackers probably didn't start off sounding so racist, but now that I think more about it, that cracker reference just really sinks in <laughs> for me. It's just me, probably, but I, it's I love It's a nice it.
3: double meaning, definitely,
0: definitely." So he says that he has no doubt the investigation will be allowed to finish, and that quote, "Whitaker is not going to do anything crazy," but I feel like we've all heard this story before. You know, Trump's not going to actually build a wall. He's not going to actually ban Muslims. He's not going to actually fire Jeff Sessions. Exactly. He's not going to actually fire Comey. Mm He's not going to actually, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We know how this story ends. Mm -hmm. It's a broken record. So Trump will stop at nothing to protect his own interests. In fact, on Friday, The Hill published an article by Tal Axelrod called Trump Blast Flake for Pushing Measure to Protect Mueller. And we all know Trump and Flake have never been friends, but Trump took their feud to a whole new level this weekend when he tweeted, Jeff Flakey doesn't want to protect the non-Senate confirmed special counsel. He wants to protect his future after being unelectable in Arizona for the crime of doing a terrible job, a weak and ineffective guy. Flakey is the best he could come up with? You know, we've all called Jeff Flakey. Come on, Trump. I thought you were the best, you know, improv insult. That's not's cheap. That's mm-hmm. cheap. Even mm-hmm. for I I've done that tweet. So it's just like leftovers in my opinion.
3: Yeah, for the guy who brought you Lion Ted Cruz. Yeah,
0: come on. Crooked Hillary. That's all, everywhere. You no, know, cr- you you inspire crooked Media. Come on, Trump.
3: Oh, by the way, Trump, the not Trump, Triumph the comic dog, yeah. uh went out to a um to Beto and Cruz rallies. What? And he started this chant at the Ted Cruz rally saying, "Lion of the Senate." Lion of the Senate, like, you know, how uh, we always called uh, Kennedy the Lion of the Senate, yeah, or McCain yeah. the Lion of the Senate. Now, there, he was trying to tr- start a chant saying that Ted Cruz is now going to be the Lion of the Senate. Yeah, yeah. And so he got all of Ted Cruz's supporters saying Lion of the Senate, Lion of the Senate. And then and then he morphed it into Lion Ted Cruz. Lion Ted Cruz and everyone's chanting this. And then one of the Republican ladies goes, Hey, wait a minute. It sounds like you're calling him Lion Ted mm-hmm. and, and I Triumph's like, No <laughs> <laughs> It's That's, really funny if you get a chance to watch that yeah,
0: clip. That backfired quickly.
3: he's <laughs> <laughs> like, Don't you see
0: oh I love it. Trolling in real time. <laughs> So uh, this tweet came two days after Trump took credit for Flake's retirement, saying at a White House... The flaky tweet? Exactly, yeah. Saying at a White House press briefing, I retired him. I'm very proud of it. I did the country a great service. This fucking guy... flake responded though uh, in an interview on morning joe he said quote the bottom line is that if i were to run a campaign that i could be proud of and where i didn't have to cozy up to the president and his positions or his behavior i could not win a republican primary and that's the bottom line so things are definitely heating up between trump and these last few moderate republicans they're doing their best to check his self-proclaimed Powers, But we all know these bills aren't actually going to move anywhere. It's it's falling on to us. You know, it's falling on to Mueller and the people to hear what these senators are saying and, you know, respond accordingly. So they may not have much power in the Senate chamber, but we've got a whole lot of power in the streets. So I feel like we should just keep marching. And uh, that's pretty much my hot note. Yeah, nice. Thank
3: you. Well, thank you, Jalisa, for that. So you went to the San Diego Protect Mueller. I
0: did. I went with Ann Craig and um, some other people from the Mueller Junkies San Diego scene. The nobody is yeah. above the law
3: rally with some Mueller Junkies. I heard over a thousand people were there. It was huge. Was yeah. it fun? How long did it go? What'd you guys do?
0: You know, it, it was there for probably an hour and a half, and we we just stood around um, like these people speaking, um, you know, with their megaphones and their banners. And um, Mike Levin came out actually. Nice. Yeah. He won, by the way. Yes, yes, he spoke, looking smooth, real swank. The <laughs> cat um, but yeah People were just like Holding their signs And just you know Cheering every time They heard something they loved There were just a lot of Speeches happening And that just hearing That the people that Organize it um, Nobody's above the law I guess is the Organization yeah, name yeah. yeah and so they've been Doing this prepping for this Their speeches were so Well written and so many Young people so many Different ethnicities You know Asian Americans Mexican Americans Discussing you know The caravan and the truth And you know behind Trump's racist ads Like what was actually Happening in, in those videos Like they weren't mm-hmm. actually Climbing to, to come into America there Yeah was this, he put out He put out an ad That was so racist Mm-hmm. that fox news wouldn't even air it. it you know you've gone too far when fox news is like yo you that's kind of wrong <laughs> yeah yeah hitler would be like man that's whew, too far <laughs> <laughs> yeah come on man <laughs> yeah so i i really enjoyed hearing from from the people yeah
3: yeah that, that, that's looked like a lot of fun and uh you know, and that was that's cool that Mike Levin was there. I know uh, Jordan and I went knocking on doors up here in North County. Uh, for yeah, 11, yeah. And the overwhelming support for him was just, it was really um, gratifying to see. So I'm super glad that he won that seat. Uh, I was unable to go to the march. I just had a medical procedure uh, I thought I'd be able to walk out of. But apparently I've got nothing on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who <laughs> felt a little discomfort at home after she fell at her office this week, drove to the hospital, found out she broke three ribs, to which she said, fuck it, break them all, and then went right back to work. She's incredible. Um, I love her. I love her so much. What about us? I'm so glad that she's doing well. I'm sure she listens. Ruth, um, Mm. Miss uh, Your Honor, um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your Highness, uh, thank you for everything that you've done. Yes. uh, It's her and Beyonce. True. Yeah. (laughs) They're right up there with royalty.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And didn't we have rumors that Marilyn Manson removed a few ribs? Uh, so, so he gets suck his own. Yeah, hair. you
0: know that was before uh, memes. You know, so I wonder if it was how accurate. Google. Yeah, yeah, because that would definitely be a meme
3: right now. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of those rumors that everyone, no one could disprove. So everyone's like, oh, "That's it, it sounds like Marilyn. Yeah. So he could donate ribs. <laughs> he uh, should to to R B G. Yeah, and then yeah, then she would be one of the beautiful people. <laughs> uh, but nice t- reference there, AG. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, just came right off the top of my head. Um, but speaking of the Supreme Court. Uh, It might not be long before the constitutionality of Matthew fucking Whitaker makes its way through the court system. As we all know, Trump fired Sessions, as expected, the morning after the election. Also not surprising, he made an end run around normal Justice Department succession and put Matthew fucking Whitaker, MFW, in charge of the entire department. (laughs) That's catching on, by the way. People on Twitter who don't know who we are are calling him Matthew fucking Whitaker. we reported on this in episodes Uh, 48, 50, and 51. Here's a clip from episode 51. Check out these beans uh, where not only do we predict Whitaker, but that Trump would slow roll the written answers to Mueller's questions until after the election so he could fire Sessions and replace him. Check this out. There's nothing stopping Trump from slow rolling those answers to those questions to buy time to fire everyone at the top of the DOJ so we can replace them with Brian Benchkowski and Matthew fucking Whitaker. (laughs) So the appointment of Whitaker was a surprise, but not a surprise, because it completely ignores the normal succession in the Department of Justice. Usually the deputy AG, uh, who is Rod Rosenstein, would take the top job. He would sit in until because he's a confirmed guy. Right. And a lot of by the Senate, a lot of experts argued on the news that the appointment of Matthew Whitaker is illegal, including Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway, who wrote an op ed in The New York Times, opining that Whitaker's appointment is unconstitutional because he's never been confirmed by the Senate. And that's one of the tenets of the system of checks and balances in the Constitution that would have otherwise prevent a president from doing exactly what Trump just did, appointing a loyalist to serve him instead of the public. Yeah. Um, so he that you should check out that op-ed if you get a chance. Um, it's uh, George Conway the third. Oh, nice. Uh, anyone who's the third, I'm, I'm immediately suspect of, but. <laughs> But uh, yeah, he's so he he wrote that op-ed. He's like, it's unconstitutional. It's against the law. Um, So there's one thing that we have that there's the the, the one issue with the Matthew fucking Whitaker mm-hmm. appointment. And uh, the minute Trump appointed Whitaker, we started learning all sorts of shit about what he said about the Mueller investigation. Stuff we already knew and stuff we've reported on here on the pod. But also an op-ed he wrote, uh, Whitaker wrote about Mueller saying Mueller's gone too far and he called it a witch hunt Um, and countless other comments on CNN and Fox about the investigation being a witch hunt, being a hoax. He's also been heard saying he will not recuse himself despite the overt appearance of bias. Everybody flipped out when they found Strzok's personal text and said, fire that guy, and Mueller immediately fired him and everybody was like, it's not good enough, hang him. Hang him high at noon. Uh, (laughs) But here we have a guy who's got obvious bias and they're like, "Eh, it's fine. Yeah, the hypocrisy is so obvious. Um, and its I'm getting tired of pointing out hypocrisies, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not just bias that could be his undoing. Uh, apparently, the FBI is currently investigating a fraudulent patent business that Whitaker used to sit on the board of directors for that ended up owing the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, $26 million in restitution for ripping off inventors, including disabled veterans, uh, and sending physically threatening emails to the complainants. The FBI uh, is investigating that company, and now he oversees the FBI.
0: This is crazy. That's a
3: huge conflict of interest. The biggest. Overlook the bias. Okay, fine. You know, mm, sure, he's not biased. Appearance of bias is fine. There's actually no DOJ policy that says if there's an appearance of bias, you have to recuse. It's just highly recommended. Mm -hmm. It's what normal fucking people do, not Matthew fucking Whitaker. Right. But now he's in charge of the FBI that's investigating a company he used to sit on the board for. Big, giant conflict of interest. Going even further, Vox reported on Friday that Whitaker is a two-faced son of a bitch. Oh. Um, I... I paraphrasing. (laughs) Remember back in the good old days when Trump was trying to get Jeff Sessions to appoint a second special counsel to investigate Clinton and his other political enemies? Mm -hmm. Well, back then, Matthew fucking Whitaker was Sessions' chief of staff. Uh, He has been pretty much this whole time. And while he was advising Sessions and Rosenstein not to open the investigation out of one side of his mouth, he was secretly advising Trump on how to pressure Sessions and Rosenstein to investigate his political adversaries out of the other side of his mouth. So he was simultaneously counseling the White House on how the president could successfully pressure the Justice Department to give in to Trump's demands, making himself guilty of obstruction of justice. Third big conflict of interest. Yeah. And as Friday went on, you guys, the groundswell of opposition to the appointment of Matthew fucking Whitaker just got louder and louder and louder over this uh, handpicked attorney general. Then we found out Friday night that FSFP, which is Free Speech, Free People, submitted a formal request to institute a quo warranto proceeding versus Matthew fucking Whitaker on the grounds that he, quote, usurps, intrudes, or unlawfully holds or exercises a public office of the United States, unquote. A quo warranto proceeding or a QW proceeding is a prerequisite to a QW lawsuit. And uh, quo warranto is a prerogative writ requiring the person... To whom it's directed to show what authority they have for exercising a right, power, or franchise they claim to hold. And it was just a matter of time be- before someone filed a suit, and now they have. So that came up pretty quickly, within a day and a half. mm mm-hmm. And the legality of of Whitaker's appointment could also come up in Andrew Miller's case, as I mentioned before. Andrew Miller's appeal began oral arguments Thursday, right after Trump removed Sessions and installed Whitaker. But Trump should have waited until Miller's case. Miller, not Muller. Miller's case was argued because the Trump camp was hoping Miller. That's Stone's scheduler and house painter extraordinaire, (laughs) was hoping he could successfully argue the constitutionality of the appointment of Mueller, saying Rosenstein, who appointed him and oversees him, has a conflict of interest. But instead of waiting, Trump pulled Sessions, put Matthew fucking Whitaker in charge of the Mueller probe. So right in the middle of court, the judge basically said, well... How can you argue, and I'm paraphrasing, how can you argue the constitutionality of the appointment and oversight of the Mueller investigation if the guy who appointed and oversaw him is no longer in that position? So I'm going to need you both to write a brief about how the appointment of Whitaker affects your case. So in a case that Trump was hoping to question the constitutionality of Mueller's appointment, they could end up questioning the constitutionality of Whitaker's appointment. It is fucking poetic justice. And it's an, another glaring example of why Trump shouldn't bother going up against Mueller. He's just, he's not smart enough. Yeah, he's
0: met his his match for sure.
3: Oh, it, 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 mm, it's it. I love it. Mm, I know. And it, I think it was so hilarious where Trump's like, look, Andrew Miller, you're going to hold yourself in contempt. You're going to fight this in court and we're going to get him out because it's unconstitutional that he was appointed. <laughs> and in that case, they have to turn around and investigate the constitutionality of his appointment to A.G. Matthew fucking Whitaker. It's just sweet, sweet justice it is i love it Ooh. uh grudge tugs um <laughs> but the news that, don't google that <laughs> but the news about whitaker kept coming on friday late friday the new york times the failing new york times broke a story that don mcgann had interviewed matthew fucking whitaker in july of 2017 to join that's two months after Mueller was appointed To join Trump's legal team to be the attack dog against the Mueller investigation. Now, a lot of people thought Trump made Whitaker AG to fire Mueller. But my first thought was that he was installed to get briefed on the Mueller investigation so he could run back to Trump and tell him everything Mueller is investigating. Trump wants the dirt on himself. He wants the details of the investigation. Uh, After all, it's well known that Whitaker was Trump's eyes and ears when he was Sessions's chief of staff at the Justice Department. That's what he was known as, Trump's eyes and ears. Everyone was like, ooh, fuck that guy. (laughs) It's like this weird bald drone running around. But with this new reporting that Trump Trump wanted McGahn to interview Whitaker to be the White House attack dog against the Mueller probe means that Mueller knows everything about Whitaker, and he has for a while. Because McGahn has been cooperating with the special counsel for months now, hours and hours, dozens of hours talking to special counsel. And there's no doubt he told Mueller about Whitaker. Mueller isn't going to tell Whitaker anything, but I'm sure he is going to add his appointment to the giant pile of obstructions (laughs) of justice. (laughs) Well, I don't know what the plural, the collective noun of obstructions of justice Cofefe's. is. A covfefe of justice, <laughs> of obstructions. That's right. We decided it was a covfefe of obstructions. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the other reason I thought Whitaker was appointed was to squeeze the budget. You were talking about that earlier, Jalisa. Mm-hmm. Squeeze the budget for the Mueller investigation. And they're talking about this new budget to fund the government. But the budget, now, budget and funding the government are two kind of different things. Uh, the, the, the Mueller budget was fully funded at the end of the fiscal year which for the government begins October 1st. So Rosenstein funded Mueller before the election, a couple of months ago, well past. And, and so his so the Mueller investigation will be funded well past the expiration of Whitaker's temporary appointment. He can only serve 200 and something days because uh, of the Vacancies Act. Uh, if he lasts that long because of all the lawsuits that are there. <laughs> Good point. And uh, I'm I'm willing to bet his appointment will be found unconstitutional, either by the quo or lawsuit just filed challenging it, or by special counsel uh, and the judge in the Andrew Miller appeal. Or Trump himself might just remove him because during a press conference on his way to Paris, uh, where he refused to go to the Veterans Cemetery to honor veterans on Veterans Day because it was raining. Uh, but let's be fair, he doesn't know how to work an umbrella. <laughs> Uh Trump told reporters before he got on the plane he doesn't know who Matt Whitaker is, uh which is a telltale sign that he's lying and trying to distance himself um because he's gonna he knows he's gonna be removed either way, he'll be out soon, so put some beans on that, and we you know we can do over unders on how long he's gonna last um I was talking to uh one of our guests david Priest. he he thought he would be out yesterday, oh, that's how significant his conflicts of interest are um Something else mentioned in the New York Times article that I thought was interesting uh, is that Whitaker is close to Sam Clovis um, and even chaired his campaign for Iowa Treasurer in 2014. And Clovis, as you know, is a witness in the Mueller probe, uh, which is another glaring conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. So he worked on his, Clovis's campaign and and he's a witness in, in an investigation he's supposed to be overseeing. Yeah. And CNN reported just this morning, Saturday morning, by the way, uh, we record Saturdays, that Whitaker has been angling for Sessions' job Sessions's job, for months when he would sit in for Sessions in White House meetings. And Rosenstein and others huddled with Sessions just this week to try to get him to hold off on the resignation. <laughs> but Sessions apparently realized too late that Whitaker wanted his job, even though we reported on it a month ago. Jeff. He should have listened. Hefe, were you not listening to <laughs> Mueller, she wrote? Um, but... It all boils down to this. Let this be a lesson to anyone thinking about working for the Trump White House. Uh, You might as well just walk into special counsel's office with your hands in the air. Get down on your knees because your entire life is about to get a body cavity search. Mm -hmm. Okay, They don't call it a probe for nothing. (laughs) We'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies, this is AG, and I wanted to tell you about my new favorite subscription service. It's called Scentbird, and here's why I love it. I always end up, like, finding a perfume I like. I go to, uh, you know, Sephora or whatever, and I walk in, and I buy it, and it's a huge bottle, and now I have and it's this giant bottle of perfume that I'm married to for the next two years. And then everyone's like, oh, you smell the same every day. But I like to, you know, change it up. I like a little... I don't know, variety. It's a spice of life. And so this is where Scentbird comes in. It's so amazing. You get a personal experience with the scents you receive. Uh and and basically you subscribe to this service. They send you uh smaller bottles of multiple scents um every month and you get to try out new ones or and you know how sometimes you're in a different mood? You know like sometimes you want to wear something flowery, sometimes you want to wear something powdery, sometimes you want to wear something woody, um, dark, awesome um this is my preference but you get to try out all these different scents and you get to wear them you know for different occasions and different kind of day night uh, business professional casual I absolutely love it and I don't have to marry a scent right and they have over 450 designer brands you, you choose one every month they have Prada, Gucci, Kate Spade, Nest, uh, I like um, Crystal um Juicy, couture, they have all, they have everything, basically. Uh, They don't have exclamation, which was my favorite in the 80s, but that's okay. Um, It's probably best that they don't. Anyway, choose a perfume. They'll send you a 30-day supply. That's 120 sprays, so you're always smelling amazing. And it's free shipping all the time. So skip the department store, skip the salespeople, skip the being married to a giant bottle, uh, and head over uh, to Scentbird.com with this exclusive offer. You'll get 50% off your first month. That's only $7.50 dollars 50 Scent. $7.50 for your first perfume. Uh, Go to Scentbird.com slash A-G and use my code A-G at checkout for 50% off your first month. That's Scentbird, S-C-E-N-T, bird.com slash A-G. Sign on. Smell amazing. You'll be glad you did. Are you ready for the Fantasy Indictment League? Yeah. Okay, I thought for sure Stone was going to be indicted this week. I think he was going to be indicted Tuesday night before midnight after the polls closed. <laughs> A lot of people were betting on it, yeah. In New York. But it's uh, but California polls are open way too long, and Mueller doesn't want to interfere, so I get it. And the rumor mill was going nuts this week uh, with the imminent arrest of Don Jr. on Friday. Did you hear those rumors? Oh, I, it was nonstop, yeah. Everywhere. People are like, who's your source? What's your source? I'm like, I can't tell you my source. <laughs> uh, but we've heard it too, you know. But I was thinking that Mueller might want to wait Uh, for the Andrew Miller appeal and the Whitaker lawsuits to be settled, um, you know, just so he has a solid, um, case. Or he might be waiting for the Dems to take over the House in January. Who knows? But then again, uh, there could be appeals to his constitutionality into perpetuity. So who knows what uh, what he's got up his sleeve? But that being said, I am sticking with the big guns. I'm sticking with Don Junior, Stone, Ivanka, Eric and a rando i'm going for a rando what about you
0: okay so i've got uh, all the kids junior uh, ivanka eric kush i'm at 4 um this is where i i okay i want to do stone yeah i'm going to do stone i wanted a rando but i i think those are just like so instead of the rando you're going to do kush exactly yeah i normally keep kush on there actually so yeah yeah, yeah kush
3: yeah. is a good bet exactly uh, but, you know, based on some uh, conversation we had earlier, I'm thinking Cush is, is a big target. Definitely. And the kids are actually smaller targets than Cush.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like when the kids get it, that'll just knock all of them off for me. And then, yeah, Cush would be next, I'd imagine. I don't think he'll be before them Yeah, I'm with all. Seth
3: Abramson in that I think that Stone and Junior mm-hmm. are are going to be used to roll Cush and Senior.
0: Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know. It's a matter of how quickly, too, right after it happens. I I wonder if he would do it back to back. Yeah. Because that would knows? be huge. Yeah. He could have another year of
3: investigating collusion. Oh. Obstruction's pretty much wrapped up. But yeah. we really don't know where he is. All I know is this is an extremely complicated case. Uh, if you've read Proof of Collusion or if you've read David Priest's book, you understand how hard this is to sum up in a paragraph. Mm-hmm. Um, we we wouldn't need a podcast if if it wasn't so complex. Exactly. Are you ready for sabotage? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Okay,
3: this is a good one, you guys. Friday, we learned that Manafort is being a little (laughs) shitbox. According to ABC News, talks between Mueller and Manafort have started breaking down since his cooperation agreement, according to sources familiar with the matter. Prosecutors have been asking Manafort for a ton, tons of information. They've been asking him dozens of questions in more than 10 meetings since September, but apparently... Muller is not getting what he wants. And the consequences for Manafort not fully cooperating could be dire for him. Don't forget that Mueller never charged Manafort in crimes of collusion. And we've been putting beans on Manafort facing superseding indictments for crimes of collusion for months. Oh, yeah. I've got like 10 clues. There's uh, all sorts of um, obvious clues. They make a board game out of it. I know, right? The game of life. Your life (laughs) sucks. Life. The game of life in prison. There you go. Um, The cooperation agreement, remains intact for now, but sources have told ABC News that there is definitely frustration over Manafort's level of cooperation. We already know that Papadopoulos was also an uncooperative dick, but has not, as of yet, faced any additional charges. And just to put extra beans on the Manafort news, Manafort's ex-son-in-law was indicted this week for yet another real estate scam in Los Angeles. And knowing that... Um, I'd like to take out my rando and add Manafort on my team. So Ooh. I would have Stone, Junior, Ivanka, Eric, and superseding indictments for Manafort.
0: I like that. I and like his, that ex-son-in-law. his ex-son-in-law's name is Yohai, by the way. yo Yeah. That sounds like a pickup line. Sounds like a good rapper name. yo you know, can I get your number? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? yo All right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. It's w- Manafort. I wonder if he thought of that name for his son or if his wife was like. It's a son-in-law. Oh, son-in-law. There you go. That's right. He had no control. Yeah, that's not his first name. Oh, last name. Okay, yeah. okay. But that paints a whole different picture then. <laughs> so now,
3: do you want to keep all the kids? Kushner, Junior, Ivoca, Eric, and Stone? Or do you want to replace somebody with Manafort? Yeah,
0: let's replace. Eric's very replaceable in life and in <laughs> the league. Let's take him off. Okay. And then I'm going to put Manafort in his place. All right. For so this you're,
3: week. You're taking Eric off. Eric, Now, yes. if I were you, I'm just going to advise you okay. as an advisor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would leave Eric on uh, Because I think the kids are going to be used to Roll Kushner I would take Kushner off I think Kushner might not be indicted that makes sense the Pushing
0: it back that way yeah yeah okay. But I don't want to misinform you if Kushner's Indicted I don't want you to be like damn it AG. well I like To win I like that logic you got I'm going to go ahead and do that yeah I'm taking Kushner Off okay yeah and then I'm a, just Just for this just to see what Manafort does In the next few weeks you trust me I trust you huh? With everything AG interesting yeah <laughs> 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 That sounds sinister <laughs>
3: All right, guys. It's time for Q&A. All right. And joining us today for Q&A is the author of Proof of Collusion and friend of the podcast. Please welcome Seth Abramson. Seth, congrats on the book and welcome to Mueller She Wrote.
2: Thank you for having me.
3: Anytime. Uh, We love having you on. Um, I I call you the Twitter Nostradamus now, just so you know. That's your nickname for us uh, here at Mueller She Wrote. So can you tell us how this book came to being, how it came together and, and when you started it?
2: Sure. Well, I started researching Trump-Russia collusion, uh, I would say, December of 2016. I was writing articles for the Huffington Post. My particular focus at the time was on Eric Prince. And after the inauguration, um, as I think public attention for the Trump-Russia collusion question grew exponentially, I think people forget that in late 2016, there were still very few people. I mean, there were some, I don't mean to say I was the only one. There were many people, but the mainstream media had not really taken a lot of attention to the Trump-Russia collusion question. Uh, But in 2017, that changed. And so I also stepped up my research and my writing on the question. And really beginning in the summer of 2017, I found that there were people who were reading me online who were suggesting that the material I was producing was not really getting to the audience that it could get to because it was on social media and a lot of people don't use social media. And so they suggested, well, why don't you take everything that you're doing and put it between two covers? At the time uh, so much was going on in my life, so much was going on really with the Trump Russia story that I, I didn't feel able to do that. But ultimately I made the decision a little bit earlier this year to finally put everything together into a book. So the research to answer your question has been about two years. And the writing began in the middle of this year.
3: Yeah, you started well before we did. Um, we didn't pick it up um, until, gosh, probably the end of 2017, and um, that's kind of when it started getting a lot of legs uh, in the news. As you know, as you said, people were telling you, "Hey, people aren't going to be getting this where they ought to be getting this." So, um, this is really an incredible book. I chewed through it. Uh, it's really amazing. And you just mentioned Eric Prince. He's in. He shows up in there a lot. Um, and you say he was kind of what kicked off your research.
2: That's right. Um, He was acting very oddly in October and early November of 2016. He gave an interview with Breitbart in which he appeared to be about 120 hours or actually even 96 hours before the 2016 election spreading Russia conspiracy theories about Hillary Clinton, uh, specifically theories relating to what is now known as Pizzagate. And uh, so he was drawing a lot of my attention at that point, so was Rudy Giuliani in terms of the statements that he was making about pressuring the uh, FBI, or the FBI, I should say, pressuring James Comey to reopen the Clinton investigation, and Rudy Giuliani having advanced knowledge of that in October. And this was happening at a time that David Korn had, in late October, revealed the uh, Steele dossier's existence, and so there seemed to be a confluence between the steel dossier and some of the strange things that were happening surrounding the Trump campaign and its spreading of bizarre propaganda in October of 2016. And that's really how I got interested and involved in the question. But of course, after the Steele dossier dropped in January of 2017, uh, everything changed substantially. And what I did was really turn my feed into a, a public open investigation that started from the presumption that much of the Steele dossier was accurate. And I found, uh, and we all have found as we've gone forward, that that turned out to be the case.
3: Yeah, I, I still think to this day, and correct me if I'm wrong, nothing in it has been refuted or disproven.
2: That's correct. And a lot that is in it has been proven correct. And there's then another category of information that has not yet been conclusively proven correct. But in fact, there is much evidence to suggest it will be conclusively proven as correct. And then there are some pieces of information that are simply unverifiable just by the nature of the information, but nothing in it, contrary to the claims of uh, Trump and his allies, has been disproven. The one claim they made was that the uh, Michael Cohen trip to Prague in 2016 did not actually happen, and of course now we know that Robert Mueller has evidence that it did happen. So that was the one thing they were hanging their hat on, to say it wasn't an accurate dossier, and that now has disappeared as well.
3: Yeah, and when did that reporting come out again? Can you remind the listeners?
2: I believe it was uh, spring of this year that it was reported that Mueller had evidence that there was uh, a trip to Prague by Michael Cohen. But I will say that as Proof of Collusion discusses, there's another trip that was made by Michael Cohen right before the RNC in the Republican National Convention in 2016 that is incredibly suspicious. He claimed he was taking an Italian vacation right before the Republican National Convention. And we have a lot of evidence to suggest. That while he did go to Europe, he was not, in fact, on vacation. And all of that uh, information is in the book. So I think, in fact, Michael Cohen made multiple trips to European capital cities in the summer of 2016. And my guess is that Robert Mueller has all of that evidence.
3: Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you say, um, going back to what uh, you were talking about with Eric Prince and Pizzagate, uh, and the people who basically you know propagated that uh idea pizza gate uh, to remind everyone was that uh Hillary Clinton was running a child sex trafficking ring out of the basement of a pizza parlor um and yet that got traction somehow but those same people um completely dispute uh, anything that Mueller's come up with, and and I think that that's why your book is so important. While while some you know we, you know we get on online a lot and on social media we get oh prove it where's your proof where's your proof, and you can't just hand one of these folks a book, um so, <laughs> so it's kind of tough to you know it, it my my answer is often read this book or listen to this podcast from episode one or follow these people on Twitter, but there's just too much there's not an I think that maybe the reason that uh, it took so long to catch on is that there just aren't any really good tight sound bites in this whole thing because it's just so convoluted and complex.
2: That's right. This is the most complex and far-ranging federal criminal investigation of any of our lifetimes. And unfortunately, it's happening in the digital era when everything needs to be a sound bite. People want uh, an easy explanation for the case for collusion. They want it to be one sentence. They want there to be one piece of evidence that is a movie style reveal. Uh, The way I sometimes put it is that people want a story of someone opening a door and seeing Donald Trump sitting at a computer hacking into the DOD with Vladimir Putin on his lap. And unfortunately, that's not how reality works. That's not how federal criminal investigations work or federal cases. Um, But in fact, when you look at this case, as you said, comprehensively, when you look at it as an attorney or as an investigator, there is a mountain of evidence of collusion in this case and anyone who wants to take the time to review it, rather than just looking for sound bites, is going to find pretty quickly that this is an incredibly powerful case for collusion.
3: Yeah, and and that's something a lot of people don't understand is is that you you do have to look at these cases uh, as a whole, and and all of their you know that's that's how investigations work, and I, I think just a lot of people that's been lost on. Uh, but it goes all the way back to you know Mueller uh, investigating Gotti or you know any any of these uh, major. Um, the FIFA scandal with Struck. These any of these major investigations are just extremely complex, and you can't. You 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 know your book. How many uh, citations did you have in the end? Was it over two thousand?
2: So there are over sixteen hundred endnotes, which include inside of them uh, around two thousand citations.
3: Yes, and and thank you also for putting your index online. Um, it's very comprehensive. Anything I want to look up, I can just go to. Uh, proofofcollusionindex.com and, and grab who I'm looking for, what I'm looking for, what site I'm looking for, or you know, any, any of that information. So that's extremely helpful. So that's a great companion to this book.
2: Well, and that's what we were hoping. Uh, by putting it online, it gives people who, first of all, people who do not have the book some sense of what is inside it uh, and what they can find if they, they do read it, which, of course, I hope that they will. Um, but those who have the book can use it as a research guide because one of the things that I felt from the moment I started doing this research but also putting it together in Proof of Collusion is that there is a lot of crowdsourcing that can happen here. I have every expectation that people who read this book will see some connections between even what's in the book already that I have not necessarily illuminated that then can be the basis for further research and discussion. That is how investigation works. One clue leads to another, one connection leads to another, and so the hope is that the index can be a research and investigative guide as well as a reference guide.
3: yes, and and this investigation is a living thing. It's always changing, uh, and uh, your book provides an excellent A foundation and and kind of a groundwork for for understanding all of it um someone you mentioned in your book a couple times i think at least as early as page 21 is the russian that bought trump's florida mansion and he was arrested this week in monaco uh do you think um i believe is how you pronounce his name do you think he could be extradited from monaco
2: well i think that's that's difficult to say i certainly think that um Mueller has significant evidence, just because so much of the evidence that's uh, surrounding that particular transaction is is public, that there was a suspicious real estate deal between Donald Trump and this Russian businessman that led to Donald Trump making tens of millions of dollars in a very short period of time in a transaction that really made no sense whatsoever. Uh, Donald Trump couldn't find a buyer for this property, he had no offers for it, he had poured money into it, renovating it, and suddenly out of nowhere this Russian businessman pays him basically exactly his asking price, even though there are no other offers. And when he buys it, he immediately tears down all the property that Donald Trump has put on it, divides it into three parcels, and then sets about selling it. Uh, His attempts to sell it, which are still not complete years later, show that his um, profit off the deal is going to be marginal compared to Donald Trump's. The reason this becomes interesting is that this Russian businessman, his plane, quote unquote, met with Donald Trump's plane twice in the 10 days before the 2016 election. And the uh, attendees and those who work for this particular Russian businessman have not been willing to deny that he was on the plane the two times that this plane met with a plane that we know Donald Trump was on both men claim that they don't know each other but we now have this guy being arrested in monaco in a public corruption case and if there was money laundering happening and if that money laundering led to special access to donald trump to help shape his policy which of course was the unilateral dropping of sanctions on russia that is something that's going to be absolutely significant to Mueller for money laundering charges or rico charges involving the trump organization and so i think they would like to Extradite him, but I'm not sure we have enough information yet about that case to know whether Mueller can do that yet, or whether he's simply going to send agents to Monaco to try to question this guy.
3: Yeah, I guess we'll find out um, eventually. But uh, with um, with everything you've discussed in your book, what do you think Mueller's way forward is now? In, in you know, given everything that's happened this week, and and how does the new democratically controlled House play a role?
2: Well, the first thing that I would say is that I think that. We're getting far too many over the last year, erroneous reports that Robert Mueller is just about finished with his work. And we got another one just recently from CNN. Uh, Virtually all of these reports have come from Trump's attorneys trying to spread their wishful thinking into the jet stream of American media. Some of them come from people who represent witnesses who have testified before the grand jury, uh, Robert Mueller's grand jury. Those attorneys would have no basis to know whether the case is near its closure. They only have a window into their client and what their client was questioned about. And, of course, most of those clients are Trump allies. So, again, spreading a story that Mueller is almost done is putting out into the jet stream essentially propaganda that the Trump camp wants to be out there. What I think we're seeing is that, in fact, Robert Mueller has a long way to go, and he is building his case in exactly the way you would expect, Uh, indicting and convicting and getting cooperation deals with lower level figures, with the goal of having them flip on people higher up. Right now, what we're told is that Donald Trump Jr. is on the verge of indictment. Even Donald Trump Jr. now believes that. The Trump camp and the White House believes that. Uh, And he would be indicted, presumably, for lies that he told to Congress. Though, of course, there could be other charges that stem from soliciting illegal financial uh, contributions to the Trump campaign in 2016. Roger Stone, we are told, is on the verge of indictment uh, I believe at least a dozen associates of Roger Stone have now testified before the grand jury. We have emails that suggest, uh, that have re- been released to the public, that Roger Stone had advanced knowledge of the WikiLeaks releases in October of 2016. So I think you'll see those indictments, and you'll see an attempt to flip those individuals. Certainly Stone, a much better chance of flipping than Trump Jr. And I think the ultimate goal at this point is Donald Trump Sr., Jared Kushner, uh eric prince and steve bannon appear to be the top targets but a lot of people are going to have to flip to sort of get there and so that's where he's headed what i think the new congress can do is finally get some of these people under oath uh, who should have been under oath and on television and being asked some hard questions a long time ago and i believe and i've always said that that public testimony can aid robert Mueller, and i don't think in fact It is necessarily destructive to Mueller's case, because if these people say something different under oath to Congress than they said to Mueller, that's new charges that Mueller can bring for lying to Congress. And also, it can reveal exactly which areas these people are hiding information on. So I think the new Congress will be able to assist Mueller in many ways.
3: Okay, so you think he's got a, a ways to go on Donald Trump's senior, But I and I think what's weighing on everyone's mind this week is the news that law enforcement officials have said that Trump would be facing the same felonies as Cohen if he weren't the, weren't the president. And we recently learned about the Jaworski report that allowed the grand jury evidence in the Nixon case to be handed over to the House Judiciary Committee. And I was going to ask if Whitaker can block that, but it sounds like Whitaker probably won't be around long enough to affect any... Um, influence uh, or anything on on the Mueller investigation what do you what do you say about that
2: well let me uh, clarify a few things number one I, I should say that robert Mueller is investigating of course both obstruction and collusion as well as probably some other issues that have potential criminality behind them i do think he's probably close to done if not done with his obstruction investigation though the firing of jeff sessions frankly opens up an entirely new chapter in that investigation it's the collusion investigation that i think he has a ways to go with and where Donald Trump uh, ultimately will face additional criminal liability. As you said, you cannot try a sitting president. There are some who think you can indict a sitting president and then try them once they are removed from office or once their term has ended. But in terms of the, the new Congress and what they can do with a potential report from Robert Mueller, one of the things they've said they will do besides trying to protect Mueller's job through a new law is call Robert Mueller to testify in public hearings on television regarding his findings, should he either be fired or should his report be scuttled? I think that should that happen, you will see a significant court battle that will go all the way up to the Supreme Court between the White House, which will claim some sort of executive privilege uh, regarding the information collected by Robert Mueller and the, the Congress, which will want that information to come to the public. But I am one of those people who believes that one way or another, whether it's a leak, whether it's a public hearing, whether it's an officially published document, we will get a full accounting of Robert Mueller's findings. This is too important a case for anyone to imagine that we're going to go years and years and years never knowing what happened. That's just not in the cards.
3: Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. And I think that a lot of that has to do with um, kind of the M.O. of Robert Mueller, which is not just to, put you know, put have his head down and do his job and do his investigation, but also the 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 entirety of justice, which is that the American people know what he thinks they should know, and and that's been apparent in his work since his first thesis, as in his master's program back in college, was he 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 tends to view justice instead of these. Um, I mean, he's by the book, but he 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 views it as a whole, and I think that that's kind of uh, where we're going as well.
2: And, and yeah, and if I can add to that, because I know you were also asking about the SDNY case. Uh, involving Michael Cohen and campaign finance laws and, of course, the former mistresses of Donald Trump. Uh, one of the things that I would, would say in that case is that Donald Trump obviously can still be uh, prosecuted for cases that are at the state level. The SDNY case, of course, is not at the state level. But I think we should all keep in mind that, as, as you just indicated, what was recently discovered was an 80-page speaking indictment that was going to be filed in the Cohen case before he pled. And that suggests two things. Number one, there's significant uh, evidence out there of other crimes committed by Donald Trump that are separate from Uh, obstruction of justice and collusion in the Russia investigation. And I think it also indicates that there is a willingness and desire on the part of federal prosecutors to get as much information out into the public through their indictments, not just through a future report, as they can. And that's why we got so much information about the Russian propaganda campaign, about the Russian hacking campaign. And I think that if there are indictments of Donald Trump Jr., Roger Stone, perhaps Eric Prince. Jared Kushner, you will see speaking indictments that give the public an enormous body of information and evidence about the prosecutions of those individuals and possibly unindicted co-conspirators like Donald Trump.
3: Yeah, you're right. We're not just guessing on that. I mean, he's he's about the speaking indictment. We saw it with Butina. We saw it with the indictment of the Russians. Um the other Russians, you know, that were involved in the hacking, of the DNC and the DCCC, we saw it in the Cohen case, um, which isn't Mueller, but is the other prosecutorial SDNY. So they definitely, uh, yeah, they, they, I think getting as much information out as they can through the indictments, because they don't have to do that in an indictment, right? They can just say, here's the charges, the end. Um, but they, they lay it all out for us.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I've seen uh, criminal indictments that are uh, a page and a half or two pages, and essentially just lay out the offense with the basic particulars of time and place and who the defendants are. Uh, The indictments that not just Robert Mueller has issued, but as you said, the the Boutinia case, which is not Mueller but another federal agency or another federal prosecutor, I should say, um, all of them have been committed across the board. Everyone investigating cases relating to Donald Trump has clearly had a commitment to speaking indictments that are substantially longer, in the case of 80 pages, as many as, we might say, 20 times longer than you might expect from a federal indictment.
3: Now, how long do you think, uh, before I let you go, how long do you think the uh, collusion piece uh, is going to take him? And, and I know you're just that would just be conjecture, but I'm wondering if you think it'll go past uh, Whitaker's appointment or into, you know, uh, January when uh, the Dems take control again. Um, are we talking months, another year?
2: The reason that I have said that I think we are talking months and possibly another year, I want to be very specific about why I say that. Uh, The reason is that Trump has said one thing that is accurate, which is that the finances of the Trump Organization are incredibly complex. I believe that we're going to find that the use of shell companies and foreign cutouts to move money around and to launder money over a period of many, many years. is not only present in the Mueller investigation and critical to it, but something that will require an enormous amount of paperwork and ongoing investigation. That's the first thing. But the second thing I would say, and I've written about this on my Twitter feed, is that the collusion question is no longer what we thought it was a year ago. We thought it was simply collusion between Trump and Russia. And what we are finding, and what we find particularly stemming from that August 3rd, 2016 meeting that Eric Prince set up at Trump Tower between Donald Trump Jr. George Nader, who was an emissary from Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, and Joel Zammel, an Israeli business intel guy with Israeli government connections, is that what we see here, in fact, is collusion between a number of countries that wanted Donald Trump's foreign policy to be the dropping of sanctions on Russia so that Russia would cease its support for Iran in the Middle East. And that is why this is going to take so long, because Mueller is not just chasing down leads in the U.S., not just in Russia. But we have reports now from the spring of this year that he's chasing down leads in Israel, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Turkey, Greece, many countries, Italy. I mean, Hungary, you could go on and on and on. This is truly an international investigation. And the evidence we have, the fact that he spent 50 hours talking to Cohen, 50 hours talking to Manafort or his agents did, suggests that there is so much left to be learned here and investigated here. So on the collusion question, I do believe we have many months to go.
3: Well, we know you'll be around for it. You'll be keeping us apprised on Twitter um, and uh, we'll be here for it as well. So everybody make sure to follow Seth Abramson on Twitter and get his book, Proof of Collusion, wherever books are sold. Uh, Seth Abramson, thank you so much for coming on Mueller She Wrote today.
2: Thank you for having me.
3: All right, everyone, thank you again for joining us this week, and thank you for joining us at Election Night Live. Congratulations on the blue wave. Thank you, young people. If you know people who aren't listening to Mueller, she wrote, yet, let them know about the pod, because things are going to start heating up in the coming weeks. And we are the uh, quintessential podcast for all things Mueller. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll see you next week. I've been A.G. I've been
0: Jaleesa Johnson.
1: Tits McGee is on vacation.
0: And this is Muller She Wrote.
3: Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by A.G. with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact checking and research by AG and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios and our website is mullersherote.com.
2: Hi, I'm Dan Dunn, host of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, the most wildly entertaining adult beverage-themed podcast in the history of the medium. That's right. The boozy best of the best, baby. And we have the cool celebrity promos to prove it. Check this out. Hi, I'm Allison
3: Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice.
1: Boom.
2: Boom is right, Academy Award winner Allison Janney. As you can see, celebrities just love this show. Ah, that's better. So be like Dita Von Tees, friends, and listen to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, available wherever you get your podcasts.
3: MSW Media.